It's Friday, June 24th. I'm Pam Jones. The Supreme Court has struck down the landmark Roe v. Wade decision, which legalized abortion across the U.S. five decades ago. Today's decision is sending shockwaves across the country for women's rights advocates and praise from anti-abortion groups. In this special edition of today's podcast, we have coverage from our news team and reaction from local leaders across the state. And we'll still update you on where we are on the state's COVID positivity rate and the other big news this week on vaccines for children five years old and younger. It's the Daily Dose from WIPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day made possible by GBMC Healthcare. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled to overturn Roe v. Wade, which for five decades guaranteed the constitutional right to an abortion. Today's ruling activates trigger laws to ban abortion in more than a dozen states. The 6-3 ruling was led by the conservative majority and three liberal Supreme Court justices dissented. The Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case was brought to the court by Mississippi's only abortion provider after a majority Republican state legislature passed an abortion ban after 15 weeks. Abortion is still legal in Maryland, and elected officials and other abortion rights supporters have vowed to maintain access even for visitors as the state becomes a reproductive health care destination. Maryland's U.S. Senators, both Democrats, reacted with outrage to the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. WIPR's Joel McCord reports. Senator Chris Van Hollen said the ruling will strip millions of women of their right to reproductive freedom and put their lives and health at risk. This was an ideologically driven decision. It was a results-driven decision uh, by a Supreme Court uh, that has been stacked with very right-wing ideological judges uh, who have now overturned the precedent. Uh, of over 50 years. Senator Ben Cardin said it was, in his words, the first time the court has moved backward in protecting individual rights against the powerful. And that's exactly what they did. They took away a woman's right to make her own decisions and put that in the hands of state legislators. They said they are co-sponsoring the Women's Health Protection Act, federal legislation to protect a woman's right to choose. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News. The two Democrats running to unseat Republican Andy Harris in Maryland's conservative 1st Congressional District say many residents there will oppose today's decision by the Supreme Court to strike down Roe v. Wade. WYPR's John Lee reports. Democratic candidate Dave Hardin says some constituents in the 1st District, which includes the Eastern Shore, will celebrate the Roe decision. But I think most people don't want big government in the middle of their health decisions. Hardin and Heather Mazur are vying for the Democratic nomination to oppose Congressman Harris in the fall. Mazur says the Roe decision raises the stakes in congressional races. Anti-choice politicians like Andy Harris are going to do everything they can to escalate this um, at the national level by implementing a ban that would take away the right that we still hold on to in the state of Maryland. Harris declined to comment. He's a member of Congress's pro-life caucus. John Lee, WIPR News. 
Baltimore City leaders earmarked $300,000 in grants to organizations which offer abortion and family planning services following this morning's Supreme Court ruling. Mayor Brandon Scott said the city is morally obligated to make Baltimore a safe space for people seeking abortions. The grant money will be used for a new fund through the Baltimore Civic Fund to support organizations directly. During an afternoon press conference, Maryland Attorney General candidate Katie Curran O'Malley discussed her plan for reproductive rights in the state. WIPR's Shekinah Collier with that story. Katie Kern O'Malley called today's Supreme Court decision a gut punch to the 3.5 million women and girls across the country. Although today's decision was highly anticipated following the draft leak in May, many like Shirley Jenkins were shocked after hearing today's decision. I was stunned. I was saddened. And uh, I lived through the 50s and I don't want to go back but it feels like we're going back. With strong reproductive rights laws and 44 facilities that perform abortions in the state, O'Malley said that she will fight to make sure that Maryland is a sanctuary for women and girls that need care. I'm Shekinah Collier, WIPR News. The U.S. Supreme Court's ruling overturning Roe v. Wade has reverberations even in Maryland, where abortions have been legal for 30 years. To get a sense of the decision's impact here, WIPR's Rachel Bay spoke with Karen Nelson, CEO and president of Planned Parenthood of Maryland. They spoke Thursday just before the ruling, and the interview has been edited for clarity and length. You started to say that people in Maryland are worried. We have access issues already in Maryland. Now, if other states lose access to abortion care, there's a concern that our volumes are going to come go high uh, with people traveling from other states to, to get health care here within the state. And you mentioned access issues already in Maryland. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Two thirds of the counties in Maryland did not have abortion providers. But even in places like Baltimore, where we are, are there access issues for people income based or anything else? Every healthcare provider right now is struggling. We all are having labor shortages when it comes to support staff. And you know the medical assistants and those that who are supporting the doctors and nurses, just like every other business right now. The second thing I would say when we talk about access is, anytime there's transportation access, income access, any other social is- issues, yes, there are access issues. Education, all of it matters, and so it matters in in the. Baltimore City, and it matters out in rural communities. Let's assume now, let's enter the world that this Mississippi decision has come down. Does that give greater leeway for political figures, states' attorneys who are elected, politicians in general, to try to criminalize or otherwise make abortions more difficult in Maryland? I think we, when we talk about Maryland, we feel very supportive and we feel kind of like the support wrapped around us and encouragement in the work that we do. It is not the same across the country. So again, we worry about people who live in other zip codes and live in other states, what they could be subject 
to. And, you know, we want to make sure that our providers are protected here when they see uh, patients from other states. There's been a lot of talk nationally about the next step in this slippery slope being contraception of various types. Again, it sounds like that's not really at risk here in Maryland, but do you think there's a risk of, for example, people coming from other states to um, try to seek contraception here in Maryland? An entire generation, generations have been growing up with access to abortion care, access to contraception, and don't have any idea of what healthcare looks like without that. So in some ways, it feels like so absolutely crazy and unbelievable. But look, it is happening. It's not a drill. It's not hypothetical. We are seeing this. There are laws on the books that are going to go into place when this Supreme Court decision comes out. There are bans that are going to happen because of it. That was WYPR's Rachel Bay speaking with Karen Nelson, the CEO and president of Planned Parenthood of Maryland. After the podcast, you can turn to WYPR.org for continuing coverage from the news team on the local reaction to today's Supreme Court decision. The Maryland Department of Health is reporting another 1,700 new COVID-19 cases. To date, the state has confirmed more than 1.1 million cases. The positivity rate stands at 7.4 percent. Roughly 430 people are hospitalized with the virus statewide. But many parents got the news they'd been anxiously awaiting last week. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention today recommended Moderna's coronavirus vaccine be used as an option for children and adolescents aged 6 through 17 years. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the CDC's director, signed off on the panel's recommendation less than a week after she endorsed Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech vaccines for even younger children. Dr. Lena Wen is a former health commissioner of Baltimore, an emergency physician, and she teaches at the George Washington University's Milken Institute School of Public Health, among many other titles. Dr. Wen is a parent of two children under the age of five and said the latest authorization affects about 17 to 18 million children in that age group. She joined midday host Tom Hall to break it all down. I know that there are so many families like mine who have been waiting for this day to be able to say that our children are now eligible for vaccination as well. So that's the great news. And the other part of the great news is that we have two vaccines that are authorized for this younger age group. So let me break down the differences between the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. The Pfizer vaccine is being authorized as a three-dose vaccine for children who are six months to four years old, so up to five years old. This is a, um, a three-dose vaccine that is three micrograms per dose, and um, that three micrograms is about one-tenth of the adult dose. The first two doses are given about three weeks apart, then eight weeks after the second dose, the third dose can be given. That's different from the Moderna vaccine for this age group, which is being authorized as a two-dose vaccine. That uh, Moderna vaccine is given four weeks apart. The first and second dose are given at least four weeks apart. The dosage for the Moderna vaccine is 25 micrograms, which is a quarter of the primary series of the Moderna vaccine for 
adults. And this authorization in terms of age range is six months to five years old um, because it is because Moderna and Pfizer just tested a different age range. So both of these vaccines and clinical trials have been found to be safe and to also produce a strong antibody response. That's a similar level of antibody response as seen in older age groups. And that leads researchers to believe and the FDA and CDC to concur that there is likely to be strong protection against severe illness. Dr. Wen says it's understandable that some parents may be hesitant about vaccinating their children against COVID or are unsure about which vaccine they should get if they are about to turn five years of age. The guidance from the CDC is similar to the guidance that they gave for 11-year-olds who are about to turn 12 because there is a difference in dosage between 11 and 12-year-olds, just as there's a difference in dosage for the Pfizer vaccine between when you turn four and when you turn five, or Moderna between when you turn five and when you turn six. And so the guidance from the CDC is that you should not delay, that you should begin your vaccine series with the dose that corresponds to the age that you are right now. Then with subsequent doses, Doses, the dose that you get is going to be the dose that corresponds to your age at the time of the vaccination. So let's say that this is my son, Eli, who's four right now, about to turn five. If he starts getting his vaccine now, which we would want him to, he would get the first dose that corresponds to his current age. So the smaller dose for a four-year-old. Then if he turns five, by the time for his second or let's say third shot, then he would get the higher dosage at that time. Just as when the adult vaccines were first authorized, there were preferences for one one vaccine maker over another and questions and uncertainty about the efficacy of each one. But Dr. Wen says that can't be known at this time. Studies were not head-to-head -head studies and we don't have the full data from Pfizer versus we do have the full data from Moderna. So the Moderna two-dose vaccine was found to be 37% effective in reducing symptomatic infection in the group that's six months to 23 months old and 51% effective in the group that's two years to five years old. That sounds low, but let's remember that these are the studies that were done in the time of Omicron predominance. And actually these are similar results to, uh, to adults in the time of Omicron. Pfizer has early results that show that their three-dose vaccine appears to be 80% effective, 80% 80 effective in reducing symptomatic infection. However, there were only 10 people who got infected in that study, and so these are really preliminary results, and the, both the FDA and CDC caution against using that 80% number because it's a really early days, and again, I, I, I don't think it would be appropriate for people to say, well, Pfizer is more effective than Moderna because 80% is better than 37% and 51%. I mean, 80% is higher, of course, than those other two, but you cannot compare these head to head. And I think that when it comes to choosing between the vaccines, which many parents are now going to be faced with that choice, I don't think they should be using the perceived efficacy because again, hard to compare side by side. You can hear Tom Hall's entire conversation with Dr. Lena Wen at WIPR.org.
covered the news of the day here on The Daily Dose, but it's also a platform for listeners like you. If you have a thought or a story you want to share about life in the era of coronavirus, leave us a voicemail to play on an upcoming episode, the number 410-235-6060. We've also got a button on the WIPR app so you can record a voice memo that way too. Just tap Daily Dose comments on the app or give us a call. The number again, 410-235-6060. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WIPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Big thanks to my news team colleagues, reporters Rachel Bay, John Lee, Joel McCord, and Jekina Collier. Our digital news editor is Kristen Mossbrucker. Our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. Stay healthy, stay sane, and stand together. I'm Pam Jones. Thanks for listening.